This is Steve McGrath and welcome back. In this week's episode, I'm pleased to bring you my conversation with D.Y. Darrell Young. Now, Darrell spent most of his NFL career with the Washington football team. Three years, he was a captain playing fullback. And we're going to talk about what it took for him to get in that spot, the leadership mindset he had to bring to the table. And we also hit on what he's done outside of being an athlete. Now, today, he works with the NFL and player engagement. He also is involved in Warrior Rising, which helps veterans as they get back home, helping them get their businesses going. And he's been big in volunteering and giving back, particularly to underprivileged kids his entire professional life. So without any further ado, here's D.Y. telling you his NFL journey. All right, I am pleased to be joined by former Redskin captain, but the Washington football entity, three-time captain, Darrell Young. Thank you so much for taking the time, Darrell. How's it going today? All is well, thank you. Just uh, navigating, I can't even pronounce the uh, hurricane that happened, but uh, just navigating <laughs> that along with COVID and some other things. We're doing well, thank you. Thank you. 2020 has really been a fun year, hasn't it? It's been, uh, it's been interesting, nonetheless. It's a lot of things... Uh, I think it's just taught us to slow down, you know, in terms of the way we, uh, we approach things, just the tactical approach to things, just, uh, you know, just being out and about the little things that you forget about that got you to where you are. So stop, appreciate those, spend some family time and, uh, you know, move on. <laughs> Definitely. Right. You know, figure out what got you to where you were. Don't forget your, essentially your foundation maybe uh, of, you know, how you were able to get here and, and definitely don't overlook the small things for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, no, it, it's my understanding, though, that you're still working with the NFL in some capacity, you know, helping with uh, engagement uh, with the players and, you know, some you know, relations, I'm, I'm sure, as an extension of that. With everything that 2020 has dealt us, man, what, what has it been like for you? I'm sure that you have a bunch of guys that are were probably hitting you up like, hey, what's going on, you know? What do you think about training camp? How hard has it been just for you to be in a place where you have to communicate to people when it's just been such a crazy time? Yeah, I think uh, just taking it back from when COVID hit, no one understood the severity of it, what it would do. Yeah. We just knew there was something out there that we didn't know anything about. So we had to navigate, we had to pivot in terms of, you know, rookie programming. So over uh, assisting eight clubs from the league office, I'll say, in terms of administering their rookie program. And so if you remember years ago, back in 2016, um, you know, teams went to what we call a decentralized method in terms of clubs doing their own program. And so for guys like myself that started in 09, I'm not gonna say I never received that financial education. I didn't receive it as early as the drafted players. Well, now those players that are undrafted are able to get all of that information now. So when non-drafted players make the team, it's not rewinding with things. It's just continuing to progress forward with it. So uh, doing that, we had to pivot because there were no in-person visits. So we had to learn how to communicate virtually. So being on calls with the directors of player engagement at each club, they did a hell of a job just communicating with guys, actually showing a different way to just authentically engage, you know, and uh, we've had to navigate that. But back to your other question, too, in terms of guys just wanting to know the season, I think there's uncertainty around. I think, you know, the good, I don't want to say the good thing, but we had MLB and NBA to kind of show us, okay, what works, what didn't work. So now we're preparing for the season is, hey, we have protocols that are in place now. We didn't have to cancel the season just yet because of what's going on with COVID. So it's been interesting. Um, but the fun part is I get to communicate with guys. I'm still working for the NFL in some capacity. Uh, like I said, working with eight teams, I had 12. Um, and now 
you know, really just being that support system for players, helping them understand the benefits and resources so they know when they're done with the experience on the field, there's an opportunity to continue what you've done on the field and transfer that, you know, to the real corporate world. Yeah, and that's so big because everyone, it doesn't matter what sport, if you're an athlete, eventually you're not going to be physically capable to be an athlete. And it's only been a couple of years since you've played your last game. I mean, how easy or hard was it for you to understand that you were going to be heading into this next phase? It was scary. And scary is not a word, but it was scary because that's what I'm going to use. I've been playing football since I was six. You don't know what's next. So no one ever told me that, hey, you're never going to play again because when I accepted the internship, the 49ers called, the Falcons were going to sign me. So there were opportunities there, but was I going to continue to chase an experience at 30 years old that I knew would somehow come to an end slowly but surely because I was a fullback, because the game was changing. And then I heard last year they put out statistics of, running backs, the success running backs had with fullbacks. And I'm like, well, this will be the perfect time to come back. But uh, it was one of the most difficult situations in my life to navigate because I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what I liked. I didn't know what I didn't like. And I think that was a problem. But the thing that I realized through it was I wasn't alone. And you have to reach out. You have to ask questions in terms of what former players went through who have transitioned already. What are they feeling? Because I guarantee you there's other players feeling that as well. And I have my family. Honestly, you know, that was, I have a little girl and that was the most important thing is making sure I feed her and, and my lady, you know, in terms of just putting food on the table. So what's really important me struggling about and complaining about not being on the field when I was able to serve for nine years on the field and, you know, having the opportunity to come into the office or do I just dwell on um, what I, what I didn't get to do? Well, I got to do some fun things. So let's highlight that and move forward. Absolutely. So when you look back, you know, where you were two, three years ago, as you're getting ready to make that step, what's like the one piece of advice that you wish someone had given you or in hindsight, what was maybe the most helpful thing that you had done, you know, if you could then convey that to a, another athlete out there? Yeah, so it's not about who you know, or who um, it's not about who you know, or what you did. It's about who knows you. So who you can vouch for because everyone will pick up the phone when you're a current guy, when you're on the field, when you're wearing the shield on Sunday. And I'm not saying it changes, but when you can create an authentic relationship that's not based on transaction, that's not transactional, people pick up the phone and help you in a different facet because they understood that you let your guards down, but you were also human, you humanize yourself to people. And I think that's the biggest thing. So I would say reach out while those, those connections are reaching out to you to build that platform to use that brand to say, this is what I want to do. What are the, what are the tactics that I need to get to approach that? Yeah, a lot of proactive type of mentality okay. to, to building those bridges. Yeah, absolutely. I see that the unfortunate thing is we wait as athletes. I'm not going to speak on anyone, but we wait. I'll use us. We wait because we think we're going to play forever. We think that um, the opportunities are always going to be there versus – you know, being proactive in the space when, like I said, everyone wants to, wants to assist in some facet. Got it. Now, I, I alluded at the beginning, you know, three-time captain, you know, for the Redskins, uh, a team no longer, as I keep reminding myself, I, I should move away from, from calling them that. But while you're in Washington, you know, you're a captain, and it's my understanding that you have a brother that's in the military. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about leadership, you know, what do you, what's the root of that? Is that how you're raised? Is that, you know, how do you develop yourself? Cause I want to get into your time from Villanova making the Redskins and everything. But when you, how do you go about the, your life in order to put yourself in a position where 
grown men in the most you know aggressive professional sport want you to be a leader? So I think the biggest thing there is I, I read a lot while I was playing, and one of the books I came across was uh, was uh, Maxwell. I think it was Maxwell, or I keep yeah John Maxwell. I keep mixing up the books with because I read Outliers as well too. But John Maxwell, his book was uh, Everyone Communicates but Few Connect. So in the locker room, one of the things you have to do is figure out and put yourself in the player's shoes or someone else's shoes in terms of what they were going through, the questions that they asked, uh, just being available, you know, because guys don't want to be lectured to, but they want to be heard, and not everything requires a response. So navigating that, but being a leader in that locker room, that 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 history of the uh, the organization, <laughs> you know, what they came from, what they did in the 80s with the Hogs and the 90s, the winning the Super Bowl, um, you know, to Dan Snyder taking over and, you know, getting a lot of criticism because the team wasn't winning as, you know, as they were used to. So dealing with that, but understanding that there's a greater good out of all of it. One, we're living our dream. Two, we're here to serve and perform. So let's put the best out, put our best foot forward. And three, I came across some really good guys. And I, I was starstruck with Santana and Clinton Portis because I was playing with those guys on Madden, but realized they showed me how to be a leader. And what that was, was doing the work and then talk. Show that you can actually add value to this team before you start talking about what you can do. So that was uh, that was one of the things that I learned that was passed on from me. And I had a great group of leaders from, like I said, the Clinton Portises, the Santanas. Um, you know, people know Santana for what he did in the media because he dressed up in things. But, oh, excuse me, Clinton. But what he did behind the doors to make me a better player, when I got moved to fullback, he said, I'm going to tell you one thing, young fella. And I was like, what? He said, get the hell out of my way. You'll be a you'll be a good fullback if you get the hell out of my way. And I said, okay, that makes sense. So I knew that either I had to blow that guy up or just miss the block and he'll make a miss. <laughs> so, you know, just get out of the way. That was my mindset every time. And from there on, you know, block for Ryan Terrain, Roy Hallou, Alfred Morris, Matt Jones, you know, those guys. So that was my mindset. Get out of the way and let them be who they are. <laughs> And I did want to jump into that. Having to block for different running backs, obviously everyone's going to have different nuances to their style. How much did you have to adapt your game to everyone's different style? Was it always just the Clinton Portis model for everyone or were some guys, did you try to mix it up a little bit? Yeah, so it was different. You know, Alfred was one of those guys that, hey, you missed the block, you'll get it next time. You know, he's just such a nice guy. But Clinton told me to get the hell out of the way. Roy Hillou was a nice guy, but he was more of a finesse guy. Alfred Morris was more of a power runner. So I knew that on third and one, hey, let's just get the ball downhill. On first and 10, we could try a couple of things. We might do outside zone. We might do inside zone. Play actually who the back was behind me, and I knew uh, what to expect from those guys. So – um, every back was different. It was the same mindset in terms of, okay, get out of the way so they can make the play to be the players that they are, but also understanding the differences in their game. It, and how much does that change when you're thinking about a quarterback? You know, obviously what, what Robert could do with his legs, very different than a uh, Rex Grossman or a John Beck. I mean, yeah. how much, when it came to just blocking for the quarterback or even just trying to catch a pass from them, <laughs> how much did you have to change up your style to fit who you're playing with? Yeah, so as you remember, 2012 was the year of the option quarterback in the league. So you had Russell Wilson, you had Kaepernick, you had RG3, you had all these guys that brought that different style, which is what you see Lamar doing now. And it was different from, like you said, what I did with Rex, what I did with John Beck, even what I did with Kirk and Cole. 
the, the approach was different. They had eight in the box because they knew RG3 was a threat to run. Uh, Kurt, you might see seven in the box. Sometimes you might see six with base defense, depending on who was on the outside. Deshaun Jackson, Pierre were out there. I mean, we had some weapons. You had Jordan Reed, who was a damn good route runner inside, you know. So depends on the personnel that was in the game. But the one thing I think we – we did a good job of is, is taking advantage of what teams thought they had on us in terms of tendencies. So you seen Jordan Reed the week before, all we did was play action when he was in base personnel. We came back the next week and we actually ran the ball. We might've ran away from him. We might've ran to him, but we switched it up constantly. So those quarterbacks gave you different dynamics, but you also had to know that as well too. <laughs> of course. Right. And amongst all these great running backs, these different quarterbacks that have these different skill sets, you yourself, when you had the ball, whether you were rushing it or the ball, man, for, for 5'11", or, you know, 240, I, I don't know what exactly you, you played at, but, I mean, you could move. How often would you be like, hey, you know, goal line, how about I get the rock? Yeah, so I uh, – it was good until fantasy started to pick up more because uh, <laughs> I would hear about it. Hey, you took the ball from Alfred on the one-yard line. You weren't supposed to score that. I had Alfred starting this week, so – it was uh, – I said it every week in practice. Hey, just give me the ball. One yard, I feel like we can get it. I have Trent Williams. I had you know, Brandon Sheriff. I had all these guys in front of me. Sean LaValle, let's just do it. Just run run straight for one yard. But uh, it was fun. You know, the coaches put me in a situation. I was a guy that uh, – I was a linebacker. I ran a 4-5-1 coming out. So most people look at me and say he's a fat, fat, slow guy. But I even was at the park yesterday playing with some younger guys and – I actually don't. <laughs> the guys are like, All right. oh, wow, okay. <laughs> so I still got some springs at 33. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I just want to dive a little bit into, you know, you, when you get recruited to Villanova, if I have this right, it's there to play running back, but it's while you're there, it's the switch to linebacker and then even maybe to safety for you to get the undraft to try it with the Redskins at, you know, linebacker for the – how. As an athlete, I'm sure you just want to play. You want to be the best athlete you can possibly be. How did, just going back to college, how did you deal with, you know, sort of having this, you know, perpetual change put at you? Ooh, so at first, uh, the change from linebacker or running back to linebacker, I really didn't have a say in that. Um, one of the things I didn't want to do is be a pass blocker. You know, going into a spread system, I was okay at running back, but I wasn't, I wasn't patient enough because high school, you just hit the holes and you make plays as you go. But then I switched to linebacker and actually got a chance to understand the game. You know, my roommates were offensive guys. I was on a defense. So I got to see some things. My junior year, going into my senior year, they switched me to safety. Uh, the coach didn't like me, and I can say that now, and it's because I was, I was different than I was in the league in terms of my approach to the game. I didn't take advantage of what he was saying and then put myself in a situation to listen. And uh, moved me to safety, and I think that was the first time I felt like I wasn't needed. So I played at a different level, which got me an opportunity to play at the next level for a tryout. And, uh, you know, playing linebacker in the league, I was on practice squad. They told me I practiced too hard. They cut me the next week, brought me back a few weeks later, signed me to a reserve contract, moved me to fullback. So it was all over the place. But I felt like uh, in my heart I was an offensive guy who could do some things, but I can also – be that defensive player, but I just wasn't instinctive enough. I would see it and I would say, ah, then I would go get it. Versus offense, my mindset was, I'm going to get you, man. <laughs> Got to get you before you get me. So I knew that about myself. So those are good things that came out of it. A lot of life lessons. So when do you, at the NFL level, when do you find out and how do you receive the suggestion to move back to fullback? And <laughs> once you sort of come to grips with it, how much did playing linebacker help you be a good fullback since you really understood that side of the ball more? 
Yeah, so Shanahan, we came into the uh, – I was actually talking to the, the, the linebacker coach at the time about this. So Lou Spanos had took over in 2010 when Mike Shanahan took over. And I walked in the linebacker room. He said, who the hell are you? And I was like, I'm Darrell Young. He's like, what position you play? And I was like, that's what I'm here to find out. I mean, I'm under contract. You can't just walk in. And the linebacker coach from the year before was now the assistant. Uh, he's up in Green Bay now, Kirk Olivadotti. And he said, D.Y., you'll be playing the jackbacker. And I was like, okay. So now I have – in my mind, I'm about to go out here and be the best that I can. They just brought in head of Ragpo. We had uh, Robert Henson. We had a couple other backers, Rocky McIntosh, London Fletcher. So then it was a, it, we were switching to a, a 3-4 defense, so there would only be two inside backers, and we had 11 in the room that day. So I go down to the weight, uh, weight room. I'm training. You know, I'm in my mindset. Like, I, I have nothing else going. So the scout came down the stairs with the clipboard. Anyone knows if the scout comes with the clipboard, you're going to get released. So he say, taps me and says, hey, Shanahan wants to see you. And I'm like, all right, cool, whatever, here we go. I walk in Shanahan's office. He says, hey, Darrell, you know, how you doing today? I said, I just don't get it. Why the hell are you cutting me? Why did you make me drive all the way back when you're cutting me two hours into the program? I, don't, I didn't get a chance to prove myself. He said, you done? And I was like, not yet. And I just don't understand why you guys are doing this. He's like, okay, can I speak? And I said, yeah. He said, we just wanted to know if you wanted to move to fullback because we have 13 linebackers and you're not going to make this team as a linebacker. Um, we have one fullback and we're looking for a guy. And based on the film that we've seen of you practicing last year, we think you can be that hybrid guy. Rewind, Kyle Shanahan, when I did my pro day, was the one that was for Houston and said that you will be playing fullback on my pro day <laughs> two years before that. So it, it, it kind of ironic how it happened, but um, you know, he was foreshadowing something that I didn't see and then the rest was history from there. And then the other piece to it, um, what was the second part of the question? I forgot. <laughs> I forgot. Just playing linebacker, making that switch to fullback, did, yes. did it make it easier? Yes, so it did because offense is a game of angles. Um, for defenses as well, too, but I knew what that linebacker was thinking. So if it was covered two defense, I knew that outside backer was spilling to the mic backer. So I knew what his position would be. So my job was to beat him to that spot. I knew that corners were hardball corners and cover two and cover three. They had contained, you know, things of that nature. So just understanding the defense, understanding ripping Liz calls, Ralph and Larry. So guys on offense don't really pay attention to that, but defense, r and it's common sense, but during the middle of the game, you're not thinking of it. When a linebacker shifted, when safety start moving around, like you know all those things, you pay attention to it. So it uh, gave me a different understanding of the game in a good way. So I was able to uh, dissect the defense, and they hated it at first, because one, I was in the meeting rooms a little bit with the defense. So I knew when they said that, hey, he's coming opposite, <laughs> you know? So I knew that they started to put in fake calls, so it was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Now, if I have this right, the, the fullback on the roster at that time is Mike Sellers. Yes, sir. Yes, How, sir. Now, a mammoth of a human being. You know, I, I think he's listed at like 6'3", 270, but I, I saw him in person, and I felt even more dwarfed than what that would suggest. Obviously, you're not the same build, but how? so maybe there's just some physical things that he could do that you know, most human beings ever couldn't do. But how yeah. much did having a fullback, you know, someone that absolutely was good at their job, how much did that help you just in your growth? You know what? He's the reason why I became a decent fullback in the NFL. Um, he's one of the guys that when I was behind him, he said, hey, pay attention to what I'm doing. But I'm going to show you better than I can tell you. And then you ask questions after. So my mind is I'm one of those guys. I'm going to learn my position. It took me about three weeks to learn a fullback position. And then I started branching out. Okay, if the receivers are doing this, if the tight ends are doing this, what do I have? What are the line calls? What are the pass protections? But Sellers taught me all of that as well, to see the game from just bigger than being a fullback because it would help me slow down 
in terms of my approach to go blocking a guy or hearing the calls in a huddle. Like you can hear a couple words, but all right, I know the rest of it now. So he taught me that, but that was the first time I felt like someone put them before me in terms of the learning curve. And um, the things that he was able to do on the field outside of him being a mammoth, as you mentioned, he was a, a damn good guy. And it was when my time to start, which was the next season after the lockout, he was still the same person. And you don't find that. Usually you see guys who don't want to help. He knew he was in the last year of that contract, of that deal. But he did everything to make sure that I did everything right. Hey, you're taking it easy today. That's not that's not the way the person that I seen last year. Hey, when you go to block this guy, make sure you do this. Hey, Ray Lewis is like this on this play. Make sure you, you know, thud him up in this way. He doesn't like this. So it was kind of cool to hear that and have that person in my corner. So when you have someone like that early, how much does that influence you as your career goes on to try to emulate that and be that guy as you get a little bit older in the league and there's young guys, maybe not necessarily fullbacks, but you see young guys come on the team and, you know, it's now you're the older statesman that they kind of has to, or is in a position where you can help or you can choose to just sort of put the blinders on and do your thing. Yeah, I think it's about the person, if I'm answering correctly. I think it's about the person. Um, for me, in situations, it need to prepare and help the other guys that are in that situation. So I look at Alfred Morris. I look at Roy Hallou. I want those guys to be better than, the, not even the next guy, but better than they were yesterday. And uh, that was my approach to it each day. And I think that's just the heart in me. You know, sometimes they got me in trouble because I did that for guys who really didn't have the same intentions. But... You know, I always say God works in mysterious ways, and I don't want to bring religion into it, but everything happens for a reason, you know, and uh, I just wanted to make sure that when I look back at myself that I put the person next to me in the best situation as well as myself. Got it. Yeah, and I think it's the, you know, I feel like it's the right thing to do, but when there's millions of dollars on the line, wins and losses, position spots, you know, all of a sudden, true colors can show it as to, you know, really you know, who, where does your, you know, intentions really lie? You know, what are you most loyal to? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the other things, so I never told this story before, but I was in the locker room after one of my last games. I'm not going to say when. And uh, I said, man, I know they're going to release me. I'm not coming back. I'm going to fake a concussion so I can get some money out of it. One of the guys in the locker room turns to me and said, D.Y., that would be cool, but you got to answer to the Lord. And, I'll just say I wouldn't be in certain situations that I was in after that if I would have did that. So things work out for it. When you do things right, it may not be at that time, and we probably can't see it, but to know that I did what was best for myself and my family and for me to transition, that was the right move. Definitely. And to, I know I asked a lot of questions in terms of like player to player, but when you start to look at an overall organization and how it's run, you know, very briefly, you get a chance to be around Coach Zorn, but then, you know, you get Shanahan, uh, of course, Kyle's there as well. But then as it transitions into Jay and Sean McVay, what did you see from very successful coaches on in terms of what they've been able to accomplish over the courses of their career? What, you know, were there certain traits that you found that made good coaches versus bad or maybe even more broadly successful professionals versus guys that just at the end of the day maybe had the talent but weren't able to cut it for whatever reason. Yeah, so one of the things, I mean, you listen to Sean McVay speak. I told him in 2010 when he was quality control that you will be a head coach in eight years. It took him seven. <laughs> so you see that in those guys being around certain coaches. Danny Smith is another one, um, one of the special teams coaches that, you know, one is respected in the league, but two could be potentially a head coach if I think if he wanted to be. 
Um, you know, you look at Jay, Jay had a different way and different philosophy, but took pieces of his game in terms of how he connected with the players. You know, a lot of people won't see that. I know there was some, some tweets that came out and some text messages from other guys, but for me personally, Jay, sat me down and taught me the offensive perspective versus Kyle put me in a situation and showed me he, his word was imperative. It's imperative that you learn such and such. And you got to know the offense this way. But he taught the whole offense as opposed to the position. Uh, Sean McVay, like I said, Matt LaFleur, like these guys are head coaches for a reason. Raheem Morris was a head coach that came over to a position coach. So my mindset was, you know what? He may not have succeeded in what a head coach looks like in terms from ownership, but for this guy to come and humanize himself to be a position coach and working his way back up now to an assistant head coach to potentially a head coach in the next few years again, that taught me a lot about just resilient mindset. Like, I did it, but I want to get back to there because, one, I enjoyed it, but, two, I knew what it takes, and, three, I'm going to do everything I can in my power to make sure that I don't do what I did last time. And watching his growth now is something that uh, you pay attention to. So I think just boiling down to leadership, the way guys communicate with the locker room, and um, intention, and the intention behind it, the heart behind that person, behind that coach to, uh, one, be engaged with the room, but two, following up, following up and not just being transactional. Going back to John Maxwell, right? You know, connect. So, you know, I, I do just wonder, um, when you look at just playing fullback, it's one of those, you know, you're an offense, you're not a lineman, but you're not necessarily getting stats either. You know, how would you actually go into a year or, or look back at a year and assess, you know, what my goals are? Did I do well? Did I perform at the level? I, I know you sit and you watch film and, you know, did I make this block or, or that block? But at the end of the day, when, you know, maybe you're going to touch the ball 10 to 20 times a year, how, how do you actually, you know, assess, like, was this a good year for me? Yeah. My running back, did Alfred run 4,000 yards? Three of those four years he did. Year four, uh, which is 2015, he ran for 796, but he had half the carries. So technically him and Matt Jones equal 1,000. So I'll take that. <laughs> um, but I think you talk about, you know, you talk about measuring success, KPIs, um, you know, key points of interest. I think one, you know, did Alfred make the Pro Bowl? He did twice uh, or once, can't remember. Uh, Roy Hallou, did he you know, accomplish his goals. So it was based on, my goals were based off what everyone else did, but I put myself in a situation that I'm a self-serving guy, uh, not, not a self-serving guy. I'm going to make sure the running backs are good. I'm going to make sure that the quarterback is good, that the quarterback is sacked. And was I in the game? What was the percentage of plays that were made? What was our, um, what was our uh, yards per attempt, you know, while fullback was in the game? And I think it was like plus 13 at one point. So that's a win for me because we couldn't get out, we couldn't stay on the field on third down, but first and second down, we moved the ball. If we got the third down, that wasn't on me. <laughs> but uh, in terms of effectiveness in the run game, did I communicate with the offensive line? Did we have, you know, uh, how many mentals that we have? Did, was it more than four? My goal was never to have more than three in a season, mentals. Um, I came out of it usually with an average of one. That's because I was probably assuming that something would happen, <laughs> and it didn't happen. So there was a mental there. I remember the last one in 2015, the Atlanta game. We practiced uh, trips right minus that I would be in the offset position and we switched the position in the game. We switched the formation in the game and I lined up still to that side of what we practiced. So there was one time I didn't listen. So taking that, you know, but uh, I think just, yeah, the, the lack of mentals, uh, the, excuse me, the, yeah, the lack of mentals in a lot of ways, just making sure that I didn't do that. And then the success of the running backs was how I would measure it. So, uh and I might be wrong here, but from what I just heard, it's a facilitator that wants other people to reach their goals. And at the end of the day, 
you know, by making sure that you don't make mistakes and everyone reaches their goals, that's how you're going to judge yourself. It would then make sense that you want to be a facilitator sort of along the lines of it feels like what you're doing now kind of matches with how you would go about actually assessing yourself. So that being said, it feels like it's a a natural progression, but you know, was there anything else that you were going to work towards that may or may not be of that same kilt? Um, well, I think just you transitioned to what you just did. It did help me transition to position that I'm in today in player engagement. Uh, now it's about serving, educating, and equipping. So I put that to the same mindset as, you know, fullback. I look at, uh, you know, making sure that Alfred was doing well on the field. That translates to the, how many guys went back to school, how many guys are using their benefits and resources. So I think, you know, now for me, it's it's really the same thing as being on the field as a fullback. I'm just – guiding the way for guys to get there and then it's on them to cross the line. It's awesome. Um, you, you know, just as we get toward the end here, when you look even more broadly, you played for not just, you know, Washington, but you had two other stops in your career. Ironically, Ron Rivera being the coach of Washington now, you know, so maybe just starting with, you know, coach Rivera was from your time with the Panthers and I guess we can lump Chicago into this. You know, what did you see about how other franchises were run that led you to either say Washington did this wrong or did this right? And how do you ultimately just sort of build your foundation of what it takes for an entire organization to be successful or not? Yeah. So in Chicago, I wasn't ready to, uh, you know, being in Washington for seven years at that point, coming to Chicago, I wasn't ready for change. I didn't understand it. I said I was, but when I walked in the locker room, I was quiet. That's not me. Um, but I wasn't prepared for that because I didn't know anything different outside of the burgundy and gold. And then, uh, so I'll say that experience was different. You know, it was the same offense in terms of how Dal Logan did it, who's the, co- the coordinator with the Jets now, and John Fox being the head coach. But my first day, it was pads tackled to the ground. <laughs> in training camp, it was goal line. I said, oh, hell no. I haven't tackled in practice ever. You know, so now I'm tackling to the ground. It's like, wow, this is different. Um, so that was a little bit of a shock. And then when I went to Carolina, that was the best locker room I've ever been in. I know I spent, you know, nine months in there in terms of January to September and ended up being released. But that locker room, the, there was a reason why they were who they were for a long, extensive period of time. Ron Rivera is one of those guys that he listens. And when I say he listens, he listens to the players as well as the coaches. And he was similar to Shanahan in the same aspect of if a player made a mistake, I'm going to critique the coach and ask him, did he put you through it? And then I'll judge the player based off if the coach put you through it or not. So he was a player, player coach. He was a coach's coach. He was just a people's person. And uh, when I heard he was getting hired in Washington, I said, that's a perfect fit in terms of what you need for that organization. You have a guy who listens to players. You have a guy who has a great reputation, has a military background, um, you know, played the game at a high level, played with some of the best, um, you know, with the Bears organization, but also gets it. He understands and he wants to make a change that the players want to make. So I think uh, just looking at the culture, what everything that's come out, I think he's a great guy for that organization. Yeah, it, and obviously you would know better than I, but as a complete outsider, it, it seemed to me like it made a lot of sense. And just speaking of his military background, the, you know, the military you know, closeness that you have in your own family, uh, I did just want to bring this to you know, Warrior Rising. I, I mean, you've been involved with giving back to the community, whether it is just volunteering your time, if it's with Warrior Rising. So do you just want to talk about how you have been allocating your time outside of work to give back and help others? 
Yeah, so you see the whole social justice aspect first. Um, you know, everything going on with George Floyd, being in the NFL, having the players wanting to support a cause. Uh, I'm passionate about giving back to the youth in this space for under underprivileged youth. Um, I was privileged to have both of my parents in the house. And uh, I really don't know what struggle is because I was provided love. Anything that may have came, I learned later in my life that, wow, we didn't have that. You guys gave me so much love that I didn't understand that, but didn't realize the severity of what, where my parents were struggling, which was a great thing. So um, the military ties in that aspect, you know, giving back to the youth. My brother was in there for 21 years. He just retired last year, uh, 2019. So while in there, he got his degree, um, has some other benefits, retired now working in a hospital. But... I was told to serve and engage and entertain 90,000 people versus putting my life on the line for people who are out there um, serving for this country. So I think um, having those military ties now participating with Warrior Rising, the transition is similar. They call it PTSD. And, um, you know, when you're coming back from the military, we call it CTE in some aspects, you know, for, uh, for athletes. So tying those two together is really the same thing in terms of feeling alone, feeling uh, frustrated, uh, irrational with things, um, sadness. It's all these things are what ties into what I do today in player engagement and why I want to get back. So that was a no-brainer to get involved with Warrior Rising. i um, actually been on there since earlier this year and really trying to find my niche within there. Um, I love the programs and initiatives part of giving back to guys. So what are we doing for military vets who are coming back from war who are at Walter Reed because they were injured um, or just – you know, sad, may have lost everything while they were overseas, families are gone, like all these things are real, but they apply to what I went through as well too in terms of transition, not personally, but the guys around me. So when I say with me, I feel like we're one. You know, the NFL is a brotherhood in so many aspects and it sucks that, you know, when you're done, you don't really have anyone to uh, lean on in some aspect unless you ask. But my job is to be proactive instead of reactive and uh, that's what we've been trying to do. Yeah, it, that's awesome. And I've had the privilege of talking to Nate Boyer and Jerome Sapp, who are part of Emerging Vets and Players. You know, it, and it's just very obvious that there's a lot of overlays there. And it's not to say that athletes go exactly through what military uh, guys, coming, guys and girls coming back from overseas go through. But there's enough of an overlap that it's similar in just having a community where you have guys to lean on. Uh, and I think at the end of the day, what you just said about – you know, being proactive, making sure that there's someone to lean on is the biggest thing anyone could possibly do in that space. Absolutely. Absolutely. Overwhelmed with support. And that's what you want to do. It's just, uh, I think the hardest thing to do is when you're in it, you hear about the resources, you don't listen to the resources. And when you're done, it's like, didn't you guys say this? Well, that was four years ago. That changed. So we were trying to update with information, but here we are now. And here's how I can help you is the approach now. Got it. Well, Darrell, as we wrap up, I have this little quick hitter segment I call the gauntlet. I need your knee-jerk answer on a couple of things. Uh, I, I want to know, man, because I, I have to ask, you, you already mentioned some of the linebackers that you played with and you thought you'd be playing maybe alongside of, but having had blocked a bunch of them. Camp Chancellor. He's not a linebacker, but he's a grown man. <laughs> he's a grown man. I. We hit on the goal line in 2011. It was one of those we looked at each other. I got ended up getting a concussion at the end of the game. I think it happened then, but played some more in the game and hit my head on the ground. I think that was just the final straw. But you don't have to finish that. Cam Chancellor was a grown man. <laughs> no, in practice, though, did you have a teammate that just constantly gave you fits? Man, Laurent Landry was that guy for a while, too. He was uh, – Two safeties, I, all right. 
I never seen a guy, uh, yeah, because, you know, you have, I don't want to say you had that buddy system, but London Fletcher was in year 10. I'm not going to hit London Fletcher like we would on game day. Um, you get some of the younger guys. There were some guys who didn't end up making the team who I said, damn, that dude's, uh, that dude's got a, <laughs> he's got some punch to him. <laughs> um, but I would say, yeah, the two safeties, Laurent Landry in practice, just from a practice standpoint, him and the game standpoint, Cam Chancellor, man, that dude was something special. <laughs> something special. <laughs> now, what would you say was more gratifying, just on a high level, not a specific play, but a rushing touchdown or a receiving touchdown? For me, rushing touchdowns. They don't think the fat guy can do it. <laughs> <laughs> I saw some nice catches, though. I mean, I didn't know. Maybe you want to show you have the feet and the hands. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that one, too. It was a Philadelphia Eagle game. First half, we were down 21 nothing. I remember what you're talking about. <laughs> I got to call Pat Chung out. And he's a good friend. Him, Pat Chung and uh, Trent Cole ran into each other. I ran down the sideline. Couldn't believe it happened, but it made the game interesting from there. <laughs> now, Obviously, you played with some greats, but was there ever one player or one coach you just wish you would have had the chance to have played with or for? One player, man, that's a good question. I, I liked all the guys I played with. You know, I wish I was able to uh, sit and watch like Mike Allstott because uh, the running back coach had in college at some time that I had, uh, Bobby Turner, and he always talked about some of the things that he did, even Terrell Davis, like how he got his start. Um, and, you know, good people, close with TD now. But um, that would be from the player side, just to just watch those guys' mindset. And then, to be honest, I would even throw a crossboard in there. Like, Jordan had a different mindset. I would just like to sit with him and know, like, how do you psych yourself out like that? Like, without considering to have mental issues, you know what I mean? So I would like to, I would like to uh, sit with him one day and just a documentary did it for me, but I just have some questions to ask him. Oh, I know. <laughs> no, you're good. And then from a coaching standpoint, um, all the coaches I had have been great. Uh, but Sean McVay brings a different dynamic to Kyle Shanahan, too, right? Like those guys, that was a great group in Washington. You know what I mean? I would like to sit in a room to listen to those guys just have a conversation about football. So I think it would be a collective group. But even in the cross-sport mindset, I would like to hear Popovich. There's a guy who's done it consistently. I think this might be the first year he may not make the playoff, <laughs> playoffs, you know? And I would like to know, like, Obviously, you had Tim Duncan, you had Ginobili, you had Tony Parker, but when those guys weren't available, you still made the playoffs. So how did you do it? What's the mindset there? Definitely. It, it, it's really – I was going to say with Jordan was that documentary was enough, like, you know, for, to, you know, essentially become like a crack addict. Like, you had, you had a little taste of it, now you, you need to hit again. I mean, everyone immediately became addicted to, like, yeah, I, I need more. And, and we got robbed of, you know, hearing more from Kobe Bryant over the, the following decades because it – very similar stuff there, but about Popovich, you know, and Phil Jackson to that extent too, managing personalities, uh, those guys could write encyclopedias. Absolutely. I mean, for Phil to call it the last dance, like, I know we're probably highlighting it now, but for him to do that then, I knew the story with GM. Didn't, why, I want to ask the GM, you know, God rest his soul, I want to ask, why did you do that? What did you see? Because the Bills, Bulls really weren't the same until Derrick Rose and what, that 2011 season. But after that, they were just kind of a team, you know, and yeah. not what they were. So why break up a dynasty? That, that's yeah. the question you want to ask. But Everyone wants to know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, just two last ones for you. What's most important? Is it the players or is it the scheme? Ooh, it's a good question because you look at the Patriots, it's the scheme. But I think it's the players within the scheme. Players within the scheme. I'll say uh, I think the scheme has to cater to the player. 
in some aspect. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No right answer at all. Yeah. Uh, and lastly, man, just everything that you've gone through, where you are today, just thinking through it all, what's the best piece of advice that you would give right now, particularly to a, a young student athlete that wants to, you know, have a, a similar career trajectory that you've had? So the first thing you hit it on the head is you're a student athlete when you're growing up. Remember that because the experience on the field comes to an end. So what are you doing to build up to that? And I'm not saying that you don't take advantage of the opportunity of the sport that's at hand, the situations at hand, but prepare for it. Prepare for life beyond the game. Prepare for what success looks like to you. And to really just answer that question, what does success look like to you? And if you can answer that question, then you know that you have the right mindset moving forward. Yeah, envision it and then prepare for it so you can handle it. But uh, absolutely, awesome, man. You know, Darrell, thank you so much for for taking the time. I uh, I hope this football season goes well, uh, and uh, hopefully we just make it to the end of the year and we can focus yeah, on next year. Absolutely, absolutely. It's been an interesting year, so I hope we uh, it finishes interesting, but in a different aspect. We have every team fighting for the playoffs. That would be fun. <laughs>